Please stand if you're able for the reading of God's inspired word. Romans 9, verses 1 through 4. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, profitable for us at verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, that I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. And thus far the reading of God's holy word. May the Lord bless us in the reading, in the hearing, and in the preaching and hearing of his most holy word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the glories of your salvation, for the grace that you showered upon that ancient people Israel, and how we who are members of this new covenant have privileges better and greater than these. Have mercy upon us, bless and teach us, guide us in your truth we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We continue our consideration of the Israelites' privileges. We've looked at the adoption of the Israelites, the glory of God revealed to them in the means of grace, and the special appointments of his holy law given to them in the book of Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. Now we're considering the covenants of God, as the apostle says, the privileges that they have entailed include these. Last week in review, we looked at the word diatheke, which is translated here as covenant. We saw that this contrasts with the word suntheke. A proper covenant is one in which parties come together, co-venere, to come together. Suntheke means to put together. Whereas diatheke is not a proper covenant. It means to push through one's will onto others often in last will and testament. We saw that the diatheke, as used throughout the New Testament, and as used here, the same word, it generally shows the unilateral, or what we call monergistic nature of God's salvation. That is, that God is the sole testator, the only covenanter, that he is the one who sets the terms, who makes the promises, who takes the oath, and who fulfills with his hand what he has promised with his mouth. Though men may have duties, whether of faith or obedience, and these are covenantal aspects, at the core and bedrock of God's arrangement is this notion of testament. God establishes the terms. He alone swears. He calls us solely by his grace. He appoints us as heirs and then he appoints a succession of benefits to the next generations coming after. He designs the inheritance, and he even dies as the testator so that we might receive everlasting inheritance. Now, having considered the New Testament, we will look at the Old Testament, and we will find that this word berith, the Hebrew word, is used in two different ways and we'll consider this more as we look through. The word berith can be a proper covenant where two parties come together 
and they say in a bilateral fashion, synergistically, we will cooperate together on this arrangement. But we'll also see the monergistic element of a testament where God alone enters into the brief. Please open to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. This is the first instance in the case of Abraham where God uses the term bereath. Now you'll see in our English Bibles it says that God makes a covenant. It literally means he cuts a covenant. The word means to cut, and we'll see why in a little bit. Genesis chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Here is the first description in Scripture of a bereath that God made with Abram. Verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Okay, so here is the problem in verses 1 through 3. Abram is told not to fear, that God is his reward and he will protect him. But the first thing Abram thinks about is that promise that God made, that God would bless him through his seed. And so the question is, God, who's going to inherit the goods? Who's going to get the covenant? Who's going to get my, my animals? Who's going to have my slaves? But most importantly, who's going to inherit God himself? Is it the steward of my house, Eleazar? So first notice, fear not, verse 1. God tells him, literally, stop fearing. You are afraid. I know you are, Abram. Stop it. Stop being afraid. Why? For I will protect you. I am thy shield. I am thy reward. What are you going to inherit but me, Abram? I am what you get. I'm the reward you get at the end of the day. Abram responds in verse 2. What wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? I have no heir to succeed in this inheritance that you promised to me or to my earthly goods. Who's going to inherit? The Geneva Bible notes say, his fear was not only lest he should have no children, but lest the promise of the blessed seed should not be accomplished in him. You said I would have a seed, that it would be multitudinous. Where is it? I have no seed. I go childless. And then verse 3, one born in my house is mine heir. I need a successor to inherit. The promise is directed to my seed, of which I have none. Will Eleazar inherit my goods? Will he inherit God as his reward? Will the covenant go on to him? Now verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad, and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Okay, here notice, God begins 
in his word, in his revelation, to show Abram the answer to his questions. I have no heir. Who's going to inherit? I have no children, no seed, but you've promised. So God says, no, not Eleazar. That's the first answer. He shall not be thine heir. This is not going to be according to your understanding as it will work out. But what? Someone will come out of your bowels, a physical descendant, a seed of Abram. That will be the heir of God's promise. Verse 4, he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thy heir. He shall inherit. That's what this word heir means, to possess or to dispossess, to occupy some land as one who receives an inheritance. This one shall be the heir of God, this child of promise who will come forth from your own bowels. Then God gives him an illustration of this gracious promise. It is dark, apparently, and all the stars are visible. Now in our day, you have grand cities as they think of themselves, with lights that never go out. And because those lights on earth are so visible, the lights in heaven are dimmed. There's a spiritual analogy there, but I move on. He could see all the stars in heaven. And if you've ever seen all the stars in heaven, it is miraculous. It is amazing. You are overwhelmed with the sense of the grandeur of God's creation. Look up here, he says. If you are even able to count those stars, you'll be able to count your seed. Amazing. Beyond comprehension, past imagination, past reckoning. How can that happen? How can that be? So shall thy seed be, he says, verse 5. Tell those stars, count them up one by one. If you can do that, then you can count your seed, Abram. God promises to Abram as the foundation stone of his inheritance to do great and mighty deeds. The question is of inheritance, is it not? Who's going to inherit my goods? Who's going to inherit the promise? Someone from thine own body, he says, coming forth of thine own bowels. And if you're not sure, just look up to heaven and count the stars. I will do this. I promise, Abram, that I will do this for you. What was Abram's response? Well, that's not possible, you see. You don't understand how old I am. I don't think you've studied biology enough. You ought to be a better scientist and trust the science. You can't do that. No. That's what wicked, hell-bent men who will be judged by God say. They say, trust the science. God says, trust in me. So he believed in the Lord and literally says, Amen to the Lord. I give credit to what you have said. Your word of promise of things impossible will come to pass. Amen. And what did God do? God counted it to him for righteousness. Oh, you see, this is not uh, imputation. This isn't some legal fiction. Well, actually, the word count means to calculate, to invent, to esteem, to reckon. 
God imputed, accounted, esteemed, imagined, reckoned it for righteousness to Abram. Why? Because he believed in Christ. That's the seed he's talking about. God has promised that you will have an heir. You will be heir of the world, in fact, Paul tells us in Romans 4. How? Through his seed, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we inherit God. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Abram inherited in the same way. He trusted in the word concerning the seed that God would bring from his own bowels. That's why Matthew's gospel starts the way it does. He's the son of David. He's the son of who? Abraham. It traces him to the covenants of promise. He is the promised seed. I note then this doctrine. God's inheritance is a free gift and grant. Without deeds on our part. God's inheritance is a free gift and and grant without deeds on our part. Now what could Abram do to fulfill this promise? Well, we're going to see him attempt to do it in chapter 16 and he fails miserably. But what could he actually do to make his seed and a child come forth that would have seed as abundant as the stars? Nothing. Absolutely nothing could he do. So how was the promise accomplished? Only by the work of one. Monergism, the work of God alone. In spite of the evil that Abram will do, in spite of his natural inability, in spite of his sins and schemes he will devise, God will accomplish his promise. God will fulfill his word. God is faithful, God is almighty, and God says, believe in me, trust in me, and I will impute that to you. I will esteem that as your righteousness. Justification by faith alone. Let us then believe on God's promise, and God will reckon, he will calculate, he will invent, he will esteem it to thee for righteousness, he says. His inheritance is not possible within the strength you possess, but it is possible in the seed of Abram, even the Lord our righteousness. Now, verse 7. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst. How did he do it? By cutting Remember, to make a covenant, a bereath, is to cut it. He took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, in horror of great darkness, 
fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them. And they shall afflict them four hundred years, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. Okay, here notice a few things through verse 14 there at verse 7. God did what for Abram? He brought him up out of Ur of the Chaldees. I redeemed, I saved, I called. Why? To give. That tells you the purpose. What was the purpose for which I brought thee out of the land of the Chaldees, Abram? To give thee this land to what? To inherit it. My purpose in calling, in redeeming, and saving you was to freely and graciously grant you an inheritance. I appointed you the heir, and I'm appointing you successors in interest, plus I appointed you the goods, this land. Now Abram wants a sign. Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Show me something that I can look at and say, this proves God has confirmed. He's given me a mark that I can look at and say, here it is. I know I will inherit. Verse 9, take me an heifer of three years old. Abram now acts as God's priest. I want you to do something for me. That's what priests do. They stand and minister on behalf of God himself. Take me, not you. Take me, these animals, and divide them up and set them in parts. Here's how he's going to know that he will inherit it. Notice he divides them in verse 10. In the midst... And he laid each piece one against another. Blood was spilled. The animals were destroyed and laid upon two heaps. Please turn over to Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 34, page 803 of your pew Bibles. What is this laying of the animals in parts? Do you remember in God's law that if you had a slave who was a heathen, you could keep them for your whole life, and then you could pass them on to your kids, and you could pass their kids on to your kids, slaves in perpetuity. But if you had a Hebrew slave, could you do that? No. You let them serve a specific amount of time, and you'd better not have them serving longer than that, because God said, they're my bond slaves. I bought them and brought them out of Egypt, they're mine, and you better not treat them like you own them. Now in Jeremiah's day, they made a covenant. Verse 13, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondmen, saying, At the end of seven years, let ye go every man his brother in Hebrew, which hath been sold unto thee. And when he hath served thee six years, thou shalt let him go free from thee. 
But your fathers hearkened not unto me, neither inclined their ear. And ye were now turned and had done right in my sight in proclaiming liberty every man to his neighbor. And ye had made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name. You see what they did? Oh, here's something we can actually do. Let's let our slaves go, okay? We know God told us to do this. Let's do it. And then what did they do? Do you think they kept to that resolution? They went and made a covenant to keep God's covenant. God made a covenant when he brought them up out of Egypt. And now they say, we're going to make a covenant. And they did make a covenant to free their slaves who were Hebrews. They had turned. They had done what was right in his sight. They did proclaim liberty to their neighbors. They even made a covenant to do it in the house of God. Verse 16. But she turned and polluted my name and caused every man his servant and every man his handmaid, whom ye had set at liberty at their pleasure to return and brought them into subjection to be unto you for servants and for handmaids. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, ye have not hearkened unto me in proclaiming liberty, every one to his brother and every man to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim a liberty for you, saith the Lord, to the sword, to the pestilence, and to the famine. And I will make you to be removed unto all the kingdoms of the earth. And I will give the men that have transgressed my covenant, which have not performed the words of the covenant which they had made before me, when they cut the calf in twain and passed between the parts thereof, the princes of Judah and the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs and the priests, and all the people of the land which passed between the parts of the calf, I will even give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of them that seek their life. And note it, their dead bodies shall be for meat unto the fowls of the heaven and to the beasts of the earth. Here, notice, they made a covenant, didn't they? How did they make it? They divided the animals, they set them in two piles, and all the covenanters walked between the piles. And you know what it means if you don't keep the covenant? Your body will be divided in two, set down on the earth, and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the earth, what will they do to your flesh? They'll eat you. They will consume your flesh. That's what's symbolized by the killing of the beasts and the putting them in piles and walking in between. This is a covenant of death. If I don't keep this covenant, I curse myself with death. They made the covenant. They walked between the animals. Did they keep the covenant? So what does God say? Cursed be you. Now let's go back with this in mind to Genesis chapter 15. God had divided these animals through his servant Abram. He called him to set them aside in two parts and the fowls come down upon the carcasses. Isn't that amazing? Verse 11. The fowls come down just as God said the fowls would come down on the men in Jeremiah's day, the covenant breakers, and these fowls are pushed away. So God puts Abram into a deep sleep, a trance. He's entirely passive. 
He's incapable of walking through the parts. He can't swear. He can't take the oath. He can't make the covenant. And lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him, an ominous dread. God's going to tell him something about his seed that is dreadful. The manner in which they will inherit in verse 13 is a dreadful thought. But afterward, verse 14, shall they come out with great substance? Bondage would end in their enriching. They will receive the first fruits of their inheritance from their masters in Egypt, the rest to be delivered in the land of Canaan. Though Abram would die in peace, verse 15, yet the full inheritance would be delayed and would coincide with the iniquity of the Amorites being full, verse 16. Now, verse 17, and it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, and the Kenizzites, and the Cadmonites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Rephaims, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Do you see what God just did? Here, you divide the animals. We're getting ready to make a covenant. Brith. You and I are going to make a league. Is that what he said? No. You go to sleep. You sit over here in a trance. And who's going to go through the parts? Who's going to call upon himself the curse if the covenant is not fulfilled? One. Only one. In fact, there are two things that show up. A smoking furnace and a burning lamp. But when it says that passed between those pieces, it is singular, not plural. It was not the smoking furnace that passed. It was the burning lamp. The lamp itself passed through the middle. Now, the, the furnace is for burning up stubble. It's for judgment, for fire. That's why it's belching out smoke. It's consuming and judging the wicked. Who's that? Well, that's the Egyptians in this case. What is the torch? What is the light that passes between the parts of the animal? Do you know? God went before them as a flame of fire. And where did he bring them by that flame of fire? To their inheritance, of course. God would judge the nation that afflicted his people like a furnace of fire. And God would lead them in the exodus by a flaming torch to their land of promise. So there is a smoking furnace to devour the Egyptians and a burning lamp to secure the inheritance of the heirs of Abram. Now note verse 18. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Who made a covenant with whom? Did Abram make a covenant with God, as he will later make with the Philistines when they come and say, make a covenant with us, we want to be confederated with you? Or as the men of Judah, when they went between those piles of animals and they made a covenant with one another that they would no longer wrong their slaves? Who made this covenant? 
God. And God alone. No one else was there with him. The recipient of the benefits is sitting down on the ground asleep. What can he do to covenant? Nothing. What could he do to ensure his seed was be as the stars of the heaven? Nothing. What could he do to ensure that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, would die for our sins? Nothing. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. The berith is God's doing and God's alone. It can mean a proper covenant. The berith can. It can mean a treaty. Multilateral, several covenanters, but here no such meaning attaches to it. God makes the covenant. He cuts it. He himself makes the bereath. He's the testator. He made the bereath. He cut it himself. Monergistically, one-sided, Abram asleep. And notice the word saying in verse 18. Participles are beautiful words. They generally end in the letters I-N-G. Here notice, saying, that is a participle. A participle in Hebrew and Greek and in English is a verbal adjective. It operates in two ways. It tells you an action, but it describes something else. And here it describes this. God cut a covenant with Abram. How did he do it? By saying. God cut the covenant. God made the covenant. How? With words. Later we'll see with an oath. He's going to swear. But here he makes a promise. The words that he speaks are God's cutting of the covenant. Saying, unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Here notice. How did Jehovah cut this covenant? By words. What did the words say? Well, first, I'm going to appoint heirs. Here's how I'm going to let you know that you're going to inherit and your seed will inherit. First, I'm going to make the covenant all by myself. You're not going to be there. My light will shine all the way through to the end. And if anybody's going to be cursed because they didn't keep the terms, it's going to be me. I am the party who will be cursed if this thing is not kept. I will appoint thy seed as heirs, and it's as good as done. I've already granted the deed. I have given. Did Abram possess one square foot of land in the land of Canaan? He did not. Not even one. Nothing. He had no land, but it's as good as done. We call this the prophetic preterite tense. Or you might say the predestinated preterite. It's as good as done. God says it already happened. Why? Because he's going to make sure it happens. I have given, I have granted freely, graciously granted to thy seed. They are the heirs. The act has been accomplished. Here are the goods, this land. And he even gives them further detail. Okay, let's get a plat map out. Let me show you where you're going to inherit. You can go on the county record in Augusta County and Rockingham County. You can go in many counties around here, Page County. And you can look on what they call the GIS. It'll give you information about who owns what property, when did they buy it, what did they buy it for, what's it assessed at, how many acres, how many houses. You can do that. You know that's what God is doing here. Let's get out a map. Let me explain for you. 
Start down here at Egypt. Go all the way up. Sweep all the way up here to the northeast to the Euphrates. All that parcel, Abram, is yours. Here are the goods. Here's what they shall inherit. I've appointed the heirs. I've graciously granted it's as good as done. Here's a description of the testament itself. Here's the schedule of benefits, you might say. Here's the land. Here's the parcel. Here's all of what they will inherit. A detailed description when David says, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. You know that's what he's saying, right? I'm an heir of God. Here are the lines God drew on the map. This is God. He is my inheritance. And he's given me this land. From the river of Egypt under the great river, the river Euphrates, then he describes all the tribes who will be dispossessed. And it's a play on words. The word to inherit means to receive by a testament an inheritance, to possess a thing, or it can mean to dispossess someone else. So God uses the term very strategically. How would they inherit? By dispossessing, by kicking out the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, etc. They would be dispossessed. Israel would receive their inheritance. I note then this doctrine. God dealt with Abram by way of testament, not covenant. God dealt with Abram by way of testament, not covenant. Who made the promise? Just one, God. Who spoke the words? God. Who appointed the heirs? God. Who was it that said, this is the land you'll receive? God. Who owned that land? God. So where's the covenant? Where's Abram? Sitting on his back asleep while God passes between the covenantal parts to call down a curse upon himself if he does not fulfill what he said he would do. That is a testament. That is a dia fake. God as a theophany, as a torch, calling down curses on himself, should he not keep what he has sworn to do. God alone passes through. God alone is the testator, the covenanter. He makes the bereath. He graciously grants this gift to his servant and to his servant's seed. And we'll see the same. This is the basic testament. God has codicils to his will. He'll add things in chapter 17. He'll add things when we get to Moses. He'll add things when we get to David. But it's the same fundamental testament that God begins here. And this is what he's talking about in Romans chapter 9. What are the covenants that Israel uniquely had as those descendants of Israel in the flesh? They had this. This is the foundation of it all. This then is a rebuke to what is called, as I mentioned last week, covenant theology. Oftentimes those who believe that covenant is the central point of the Bible completely miss the idea of a testament. Let me read this to you from Patrick Fairbairn, one of the free churchmen of the 1800s. He has a book called Opening Scripture. Otherwise, an excellent book, highly recommend, but here's a bad part. We must not allow Bereath 
to assume in its ordinary use the classical sense of testament rather than a covenant. There can be no doubt that covenant is the proper rendering of berif. And as diatheke was employed as its synonym by the Septuagint, it must be taken in the sense of the original. What he's saying is this. When the Old Testament was translated, do you know what word they used to translate berif? Diatheke. Almost always it's diatheke. So he says, well, we must say berif then always means covenant. Never should we assume that it means a testament. But let me ask you a question. The first appearance in the life of Abram of this term berith, what does it mean? What's it talking about? Who does what? How many parties are there? Who swears? Who walks between the piles? Is it a proper covenant, a league between Abram and God? Is it two parties coming down and settling terms together? Is it maybe a greater party and a lesser party who come together and agree to it and make sure that it takes place? No. Rather, the question is, how shall I know that I shall inherit? That's the question Abram asks, and how does God answer it? By making a bereath. That's how you'll know you'll inherit. That's how you'll know your seed will inherit. Here's the land, here are the heirs. God does it all. Let us then read the word of God with understanding. Let us not lapse into what I would refer to as worldview thinking. Well, the Bible has to teach covenant, so therefore bereath must mean a proper covenant. It can't mean anything else. Facts, let's just set those aside. Yeah, okay, God's the only one. I know they're talking about inheritance. I know he appoints the land and the people. I know he swears only by himself. It's all done by him. He pushes through his will. Well, that's kind of like, but let's just call it a covenant. No, it's a testament. It's obviously so as it was in the New Testament passages, time after time after time, God swears, God promises, God fulfills. It is done by God alone. God's testaments of gracious promise are cut by himself. They are sworn by God himself alone. He calls the curse upon himself should the promise fail. He entails goods, he entails heirs, he entails a testator and a mediator, all by his free grace. And thus far the exposition of Romans 9.4 and Genesis 15. Let's pray.